Crazy Chester Radio Hour. Thanks for tuning in. The theme song you just heard is performed by Wet Willis, Jimmy Hall, and Funky Chester. My name is Andreas Warner. I'm a record producer, songwriter, and owner of Crazy Chester Records. If you'd like to find out more about Crazy Chester Records or the Crazy Chester Radio Hour, check out our website at crazychesterrecords.com. My guest today is Daniel Market. Daniel is a singer-songwriter based in Muscle Shoals whose songs are full of evocative lyrics, vivid images and captivating stories. I met Daniel a few days ago. I met Daniel a few years ago when his highly original songs immediately piqued my interest. Welcome to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour, Daniel Market. Thanks for having me. So, artist, philosopher, songwriter and folk singer. Uh, yeah. You tell me how accurate how accurate a, a description that is. I uh, got a chance to see you perform about three or four years ago for the first time. I think shortly after you moved here, and Muscle Shoals, you know, you know the history and all of that, and you kind of expect something. But then you got up on stage with your folk songs, with the guitar, with your harmonica, and I'm just like. I just thought it was so cool. I finally got to listen to a folk singer, which I love doing, yep. but I never really get the opportunity to. Right. So I'm glad I have you here today because I wanted to learn more about, you know, your art, your songs, your life. And uh, thanks for agreeing to uh, to be my guest today. It's a real honor because this is this studio is getting to have getting some kind of a name. And you're well-known around town for being one of the good guys. I will, I'll say that right off the bat. Well, um, Everything I've heard about you has been... I appreciate that. Yeah, it's true, though. You know, like yeah. some people, you think when they call you up to do something like this, you think, well, I wonder what the angle might be because I've been around a little bit, you know. Yeah. But yeah, man, Andreas has a great name around town just from people saying nice things about well, you. Well, I don't quite know necessarily what my angle is, but one yeah. thing I know is I'm a fan I'm a fan of, you know, Muscle Shoals music, the history, and now I'm a fan of your music, too, after being exposed to it a little bit. I appreciate so, that. So, you grew up in Indiana. Mm -hmm. What was some of your, like, early memories of music? Um, it was kind of like we were discussing earlier on. My uncles all played in bands, and they played country music, and my dad also played. Uh, <laughs> sorry, bud. Kind of poorly, though. I was looking out. That's what my dad's nickname was spent. He would stomp on the guitar floor, you know, and play. But uh, So I started playing after that. They got me a guitar for Christmas. But what I remember early on is like Merle Haggard and all those country guys. Buck Owens, that's what I listened to. And then I go to high school, 
all my friends, as we talked about earlier, listening to Led Zeppelin. and I like Cream, I got to say. Cream was really good. But I'm listening to Tom Rush and Peter, Paul, and Mary and all these acoustic, those kind of songs talk to me that had something to say beyond a sing-along chorus. Okay, so yeah. you discovered that pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, man, yeah. Grade school. Yeah. I was liking songs that nobody else liked in grade school, you know. Yeah, and before we started recording, we talked about some of those songs. Like right. You mentioned John Hartford's Chandle on My Mind, mm-hmm. which is not only a great folk song, but has just become a classic in so many different you yep. know, versions. And, you know, people say, what song changed your life? I remember listening to that song, and there was that line about, I'm going to pack my sleeping bag, roll up, and stash behind your couch. And I go, that's what I want to do. <laughs> I don't want to get married. I want to do that kind of thing and go all around the country and meet new people. Almost to the point where when I was in Nashville for 10 years, which I'm trying, not trying to jump ahead, but uh, I never acquiesced to the, the two-and-a-half, three-minute country songs. And Stephanie Brown was there then. You probably know Stephanie. I know Stephanie. And Stephanie was a woman who started pitching my songs. Of course, she said, can you give me anything commercial that we can really get cut? I said, well, man, I don't know. I don't really, I'm not really that interested in that. So, you know, that limits, you're not going to make a lot of money that way. So, but you got to stay true to who you are. Yeah. You know? So how did that, of what who you are, get shaped? Were you... Did you start writing poems first? Did you pick first? Or did it all kind of organically happen at the same time? Mm. How how did you kind of develop your craft? I did a parody of uh, Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town. And it was so vile and nasty. I did it on purpose. I can't even repeat any of the lyrics. That was the first thing I ever wrote. My friends all cracked up. So then there was a guy in town who was like a Jimmy Buffett clone in Evansville, Indiana. And uh, he had a writer's night, and I just went to listen. I'd written a couple songs and played a little bit, but I wasn't playing out. And uh, a friend of mine says, get up there and play a couple songs. And I said, no way, man. I'm just here to watch. So I go to the bathroom, and they come back, and this guy comes up to me and goes, you're up next. And I said, I didn't sign up, and my friend's grinning. And I remember going into the bathroom thinking, I'm going to go out the window. I'm not going to. And I thought, how bad can it be, you know? So I got up there and did, I think I did Harry Chapin and Jesse Winchester. Yeah. You know, no one had ever heard of those songs. And I thought, well, I might as well do that song I wrote. And everybody came up to me after and said, hey, wh- who wrote that last song? They didn't know. And that song stuck out. So I thought, wow, it's kind of addicting when people, you know, give you compliments for what you've created yeah. in my mind. So. Yeah. So... How was the local scene where you grew up? You mentioned that Jimmy Buffett type of character mm-hmm. who had it. But what was like the local scene like? Was that was it much of a music scene to begin with, or or how would you describe that? Mm, let's see. Jeff Davis was there with the Amazing Rhythm Aces. Yeah, bass player. Oh yeah, man. And um, I think yeah, Jeff played with that guy actually. Uh, Scott Sublett was his name actually. They were all doing cover songs. There was no one writing songs. And I thought, I want to write songs. I'm not really 
you know, people would say, do you know this? And Amy, I said, if I want to hear that, I'll put on the radio. I said, I want to write something. So consequently, I didn't really try to be a hot guitar player. And I just said, I got to get out of town. So I just, you know, took off. Yeah. And would that lead you to Colorado? Um, the first thing I did was get my undergraduate in biology. Then, instead of being a biologist like I thought I was going to do, I started playing music to make money to get me through the last year of school. And then I hitchhiked to Florida and just played clubs down there. And then uh, after that, moved to Nashville to pitch songs, fell in love with the woman who was in medical school. You'll hear that song here in a little bit probably. And uh, next thing I know, I'm in graduate school. So instead of, you know, playing music, I'm, I'm at Vanderbilt in graduate school in microbiology. And then we broke up because I just couldn't get married. I just wasn't interested in it. And then uh, and I started recording records. I just, I bought my own stuff, you know. Yeah. Had a great little studio. I think you'll like that CD that I gave you. It's, it's a great sounding record, you know. Great players, Jeff Davis, or Jeff Taylor from the Time Jumpers. And, yeah. Uh, Joe Campito, who played with Don Williams. I mean, there's some, fan, uh, Jelly Roll Johnson, the famous harmonica players playing Absolutely. on that. You know, it's a, it's a good record, so. But they were always eccentric songs. Like, who's going to cut these songs? And the, the only uh, thing that made me feel better was, you know, one of the greatest songwriters I know is Bill Morrissey, and he's never had a cut that I know of. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? Do you want to start off with that song you just mentioned? Uh, which one? The one you wrote about. About your, the woman? About the woman. All right. Uh, actually, she has a probably, whew, every song I have, somehow she gets into them. I'm not sure how that happens, but uh, I was right, at, right about what you know. You right? got to write about what you know. And, and I was at my place, I just bought my place on Sunset Beach, and the guy next door was a songwriter, and we got to be friends. We're drinking beer one day, and I said, are you writing any songs? And he said, no, everything I write sounds like I'm an old man. And I said, well, you are kind of an old man. And I walked back to my house. I said, so are you, Daniel Market. I went up and wrote this song. Uh, when I lived in Tennessee, she and I used to be in my, I had 67 acres in the country when I was in graduate school. And she'd always say, it's the gloaming. Do you know what the gloaming is, Andreas? A lot no. of people don't know. So I write songs like this, which are, but the gloaming is the time, it's an Irish term. And in the evening, when the sun goes down, everything gets real golden. And I looked out over my property to the lake, and I said, wow, it's a gloaming. And one man, I remember Mary Jane used to always say, hey, man, let's, let's take a walk. The gloaming's coming down. So I wrote this little song called The Gloaming, with the gloaming coming down. And I was always a huge fan of Gordon Lightfoot, and he always had those cool intros, and then he would go into the song. So I tagged this little intro into it. Well, sometimes in the evening, with the years and miles long gone, I still write down my memories, but man, I sing them in my songs. But she's lost across the ocean, and my youth has faded fast. On the outskirts of this little town, I ponder on my past. 
Sometimes when the evening sun sits heavy on my shoulders I think about the days gone by when I was young and bolder The acres of my chestnut oaks and the shag box lay before me so softly behind my hill of trees and the thought this might be heaven boys never once occurred to me with her hair all thick and smelly of the girl she was back then I got a movie playing in my mind I'll picture her again skin's all soft and brown bigger dreams that always seem to haunt me and after all these years they still come back to twist and taunt me when I think about a soft words she once whispered with delight then come see the trees are covered with the golden evening light don't you want to take a walk around cardboard box hard for me to see she got her arms around my shoulders and she's smiling back at me and I know it's not the best thing to long for all you've wasted for one night I'll savor though all the kisses I once tasted but before I lay me down There's an old cliche that youth is wasted on the young. That's one I never heard back when I used to lay down with the sun. Not a word was spoken, then come the hoot owls in my trees. Christ, I can crawl back to those woods on bruised and bleeding knees. I thought she'd be around
Yeah, reminded me a little bit of making Uber reach a little bit. Oh, too. man. What a compliment that is. He, well, what I always like about his songs is he can always work like landscapes and imaginary oh. whatever into his songs. And when I just listen to your song now, too, it's like you have a little movie kind of, or, or whatever you want, you know, just mm -hmm. visual thing going with it. And what I'm a like, nice compliment that was, man. Mickey Newberry, phew, Rusty Tracks. Do you know that record? Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, man. Fantastic album. Man. Yeah. I wonder if I was influenced by that stuff. I must have been. Yeah, or influenced by some of the same things he was in. Well, that's well put. Yes, true. Yeah. So, um, let's talk a little bit about your recorded output. Mm-hmm. The first album you did was called Tasty Tunes from Esoteric Acres. Right. Tell me a little bit about that record, like, you know, where, where you recorded it and maybe kind of what led to you doing that album. Um, Esoteric Acres was actually the scene for where the gloaming's coming down. That's what we call my place in the country. And so Mary Jane and I would go out on the weekends to Esoteric Acres and hang out, you know. She had a place in town. <clears throat> because she was in med school at Vanderbilt. And then I graduated, she was doing a residency. Um, I graduated with my uh, graduate degree from Vandy and went to live with her and then came back and moved back into my house and thought, okay, now I'm going to try hard. So I was 39 at that point and I still had never recorded, hadn't played out a whole ton, but pretty much I'd played. And... Um, uh, there's a guy, uh, Clay Bradley, who was Owen Bradley's grandson. And I did WRLT Live coming out of Nashville, which is everybody wanted to do that. You know, Walter Hyatt played it, all the greatest guys. And suddenly they call me, we love your record. Or, I'm sorry, we love your songs. They'd heard me play the Bluebird Cafe. So Clay comes up to me one day before I'm doing the show, and he goes, Daniel Market? I said, yes. He said, I heard you on the radio this morning promoting WRLT. Uh, I think you're the best writer in Nashville. <laughs> I said, hey, man, there's lots of writers in Nashville. Who are you? He said, Clay Bradley, BMI. So he sat there that night, and then he insisted we go to Bradley's barn and do a CD on me. And I said, hey, Clay, I don't need to go to Bradley's barn. I'll just grab a four-track reel-to-reel, and I'll make my own CD, and I'll hand it to you. And so that's how it all went down. And that was a mistake in some ways because if he would have been involved in the project, you know, because he wanted to kind of help me produce it. Well, I wanted to do my own thing. So he took it to John Prine's label at that point. They talked through all the songs, didn't even really listen to him. And Clay apologized to me on the way out. I said, that's all right. I'm going to leave town probably anyway. I'm going to go out and play somewhere where I can play. So we got that first one done and... Uh, generated a lot of interest by everybody who heard it, but a lot of people haven't heard it, you know? It's got blues, rock and roll, funny stuff, but it's all acoustic, you know? All the songs are lyrical, of course. Yeah. So <clears throat> what led you from that project to the second one that was called Wonderland Avenue? Um, then I got a little bit more serious. Um... And I decided to do something that was maybe not mainstream, perhaps, but 
maybe a little more polished. And a couple guys got interested in Nashville. One of the guys, Chip Wallace, who was Steve Forbert, if you know who Steve Forbert is. Yeah. Yeah, Steve became a friend of mine. It's funny, we just talked about Steve Forbert recently because he recorded some here with Bob Ray and, and Cindy Walker. They, yeah. I don't know if they were on Romeo's tune, but they were on that album. Right. And not in here, but you're a smart guy. You, there's not a lot and, of guys know this. Well, <clears throat> it was a long story, but Steve called me up and said, "I'm going to reissue that album." And somebody took photos at that session, and I don't know who he was. So uh -huh. I, I asked Cindy, and I think, or I, I gave him Cindy's number and then uh -huh. they took it from there so I wonder anyway. if George Lair would know that yeah you're gonna have to cut some of this stuff out but he could it's around the same time that he was working for Muscle Shoals Sound but I don't think he was done in Muscle Shoals Sound but I might be wrong about that do you know you know what a fabulous solo artist that guy is I mean that guy can bring down the house all by himself all by himself I was in a recording booth recording this song called Paranoia Something Bad's Gonna Happen to Me it's driving. It's not typical of what I usually do. I walk out of the recording booth and here's Steve Forbert standing there. I didn't know him at this point. And he Chip, lived in Nashville. He, he doesn't did. live in Nashville anymore. Oh, he moved now? I didn't yeah. know that he moved. So I come out of the studio and Chip was his road uh, sound guy. And Chip says, Daniel, uh, Steve Forbert. And I said, hi, Steve. And I said, hey, man, I love Mission of the Crossroad Palms. He goes, thank you. And he says, by the way, that was some great guitar playing you just did in the studio. And I went, oh, wow, thanks. You know, because I don't really think of myself as being a guitar player, you know, but that was a great compliment. And then about four years ago, I was in Nashville and Steve walked in. And this was a great self-deprecating humor by Steve. I see Steve, I walk over, I said, Steve, Daniel Mark, I don't know if you remember me or not. He says, sure, I remember you, Daniel. You know, how's it going? I said, good. And we're talking a little bit. And I said, hey, Man, Steve, you had such great records. I haven't heard uh, much or any of your new stuff. And he leans over and says, not many people have. <laughs> you know, how many people are going to say that? I mean, he was on the cover of Time magazine. He was the next Dylan. Yeah, he's one of the next Dylans. Was. One, <laughs> him and Springsteen, and who else? John Prine. Yeah, Eric Anderson. Eric Anderson. Yeah, there's quite a few, I guess, there at some point. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a, it's interesting. That's a quality I like about some of the, there's Elliot Murphy's another one. Mm -hmm. He lives in France now, it, like doing pretty well for himself, but that's kind of his spiel too. It's like, well, you know, I mean, I I'm just like, you know, maybe king of the underground, but that's about as far as I'm hit. But uh, yeah. there's a documentary about him, and it really, really shows that side. It's pre it's pretty cool. I got to see that. Yeah, we, we're gonna have to talk after this. I need to, I need to pick your brain. You're an awfully young guy to know all this cool facts. I don't know. For the longest time, I just learned all this stuff, and I thought it's never gonna lead anywhere. But it's somehow, still kind of collected to something that makes sense. Yeah, you know what we need to do at some point, or not we, but somebody. Somebody needs to sit down and interview you for this thing. Oh, you know I don't know I mean? how, how interesting that would be. Oh, I'm pretty interested, and I'm not a guy who's easily interested either. So. So, uh, would you mind playing another one? No. Uh, you want it to be kind of like Monty Python, something kind of completely different, or what? Are... Absolutely. Uh, okay. 
I've been playing my other guitar, but uh, so I, I'm living in Nashville, and I go to this bar to see my brother because I know he's going to be there shooting pool. And he's playing darts and stuff, and I walk up to him, "Hey, Dave," and uh, we start talking, and he buys me a beer, and he says, "Hey, Dan, did you hear about that guy that fell off that tire in Alabama?" and got impaled on that rebar. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, a guy fell off a tower in Alabama construction site. And they, they couldn't take him off of it, so they sawed the rebar off. And, and they took him to the hospital with the rebar still through him. He says, my friend, my friend here was there. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, I was there. And I said, Phew, wow, the man of steel. And he goes, what? I said, it'd be great song title, The Man of Steel. I said, hey, Dave, let's write this song. My brother was a good writer. He's since gone down the tubes, but at that point, he was, he was incredible. And so I said, okay, Dave, I'll, I'll write the first line, and, uh, and I'll give you the next one. And he gives me this line that goes, he got hung up on the steel, just like sweet Jesus on the cross. He lost a lot of blood, they say, before they finally found the boss. And I go, man, Dave. So I went home and I said, I'm going to write something that sounds like a cross between Jimi Hendrix and Harry Chapin. That's what I was after, you know. So this is called The Man of Steel. This was on the greatest hits of Americana music that came out of Nashville, which was pretty cool. Sins. Please deliver me 
before they had surgeons with 20 years of schooling. But when he got there, they whispered, boys, who do we think we're fooling? Still, they prepped themselves for surgery. Each one wondered why. They knew that once they pulled a rod, a man of steel, he had to die. A man of steel, he had to die. Still they started out to save him Cause you know that was their jobs They were skilled with scalpel sure But not one of them was named God Once they freed him from the rod They tried to give us how to jump The man of steel gave up the ghost While the ventilator pump Shick-a-boom 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 So now I'm riding down the road today I see a sign that says Jesus saves And I'm wondering when my numbers call Can I be half that brave? So I'm searching for some words that rhyme When I'm behind the wheel To pay my last respects to him I've called the man of steel I've called the man of steel But I've called the man of steel I heard a story from my brother Whose friend's wit was true Said daddy saw it happen Thank God it wasn't Thank God it wasn't Thank God it wasn't Me or you I like it. I like it's funky too. It is. It's funky. really cool. You got like you know the story and then yeah, it's it's like I could almost hear like the, the steel mill or the, you know almost like you'll that, hear it that, with that, that, that CD I gave you. Yeah. We buried a mic inside my friend's um, big cajon, and it was going, <laughs> and so that everybody decided I was playing guitar and singing. Some great Nashville guys on that session. And uh, they said, man, it's, it's so low and so dark. And I said, excuse me for a moment. I go outside and I grab two crescent wrenches from my car. And I walk back in and I hand them to the percussion guy. And I say to the guy who's recording, because I've done some recording, I said, put a lot of verb on these things. I said, now give me this tink, tink. And we did that. And that made, that made the whole song. You'll get it when you, when you hear that yeah. on there. It came out really cool. So... The third album was mm-hmm. called Afraid of What I Wear, mm-hmm. which is the one we've just... Yeah, and the Man of Steel's on that one. Talking about. Right. How long after your second one did you do that? Mm. Gosh, I have to think about that. Like six or seven years, probably. Okay. And did you do that one? So they, the first three you did all in Nashville? Uh, yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I did all those in Nashville. And I think and they were in, in several different iterations. I'd leave town. I'd come back. I'd grab a research position at Vanderbilt, you know, because <laughs> they always hired me back if I wanted to work, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But then your 
fourth one. You didn't do that in Nashville. No, I did that one. I went back. Um, I went back to my hometown of Indiana after living in Colorado, and recorded that one in my friend's basement. And that was called "The Man I Sleep With." Exactly right. Yeah. What inspired that title? Because I moved to Colorado and bought this church. I got I got tired of Nashville finally, and I thought I have to make money and I want to make a lot of money so I can go play music for fun or just to make enough to live on and I bought a church in Colorado in this little town and I made it into a duplex that took me two years so it was in Alt Colorado and uh, so I move into this town of 1200 people after living in Nashville Tennessee you know it's right up by Fort Collins and I go down to the hardware store, and I want to, you know, buy local. So I go in there, and I said, hey, I hear you guys can order supplies, you know, building supplies. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I said, well, uh, look, give me 200 feet of uh, three-quarter-inch copper pipe. And they kind of looked at me. They were brothers, I found out later. And, um, hey, you must be the guy that bought the old church in town. I said, uh-huh. And they said... Look, that copper pipe, that three-quarter inch copper is really expensive. I said, uh-huh. And you have to sweat all those joints. Who are you going to have sweat all those joints? I said, I want to do it. You're going to do it. I said, yeah. They said, well, you know, plastic's cheaper, faster. I go, uh-huh. And I looked at him. I said, well, the man I sleep with is pretty particular, and he's going to want copper, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and order copper. <laughs> of course, I was talking about me, but they didn't know that. And I remember walking out the door, and I looked back in just to see what their reaction was through the window, and I could see them talking back and forth, you know, what's the deal with this guy? And so I went home, and I wrote The Man I Sleep With right after that. Yeah. How long did you live up there? Uh, three years. Yeah, and you mentioned that you bought a building, a church, mm -hmm. and then, you know, fixed it up. Mm -hmm. And then I guess eventually... You left, and in an interview you did with the Times Daily, which is the newspaper down here, right? Uh, they quoted you as saying, I guess more currently too, you buy a house, you renovate, fix it up, so you can sell it, so you can live in your airstream again. Right. Is that, that your life philosophy? Is that kind of what you like to do? Is it something... Do you like just to mix it up, or is that, that your comfort zone? I just get bored pretty easily. You know, most people love routine. I it, Routine just freaks me out. I don't like it, you know. Two years is kind of like my max of what I want to do. It's been almost, it's three and a half years now I've been here. I have my house for sale, but it's expensive. I mean, it's two acres on the lake. Okay. And it's a big, it's five bedrooms and three baths, so it's like $400,000. Of course, I don't owe any money on it. So when I sell it, you know, I just put all that in the bank and buy me a nice, another little Airstream and go out to Colorado. I can go out there and just play, you know, and get paid. Yeah. So. so your most recent album, album number five, mm -hmm. is called Almost Alive from Sunset Beach. Right. And you recorded that down here. At Sunset Beach. I recorded it looking right out at that little, there's a cover where I'm laying on the beach with a funeral shroud over my head. Because I always, you know, they always have those live from wherever. I said, at this point, I'm almost alive. 
So that's why I put that title in there. So yeah, that was all recorded with Tony Lee on bass, Tony Robertson with Iron Horse, tremendous, tremendous mandolin player. Uh, Hugh Banks playing on it, Barry Billings playing on it. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it was fun. Would you mind playing something off of that record? Yeah, and, and with the gloaming coming down was off there too, but let me see. Kind of lay off the uh, loud step, but uh, here's another one, no reason. It's, I mean, it's no wonder I don't get radio cuts because uh, I don't tend to write from a typical point of view, but I had a uh, house concert at my house, Pierce Pettis. Have you heard of Pierce? Yeah. Pierce. Fantastic player. And so I had him do play at my house and stay the weekend. I had to go get chairs from my friend's house, from my friend's business, because I didn't have enough chairs. I think that was the day before Pierce was coming, so I was in a hurry. I go to my buddy Roger Schofield's. Yeah, you got those chairs? Yes, thanks, Rog. And he goes, hey, man, check this radio out I got. Saying, yeah, I'm kind of in a hurry, but you know, I want to be nice. It's this old radio from like the 30s. And I go, that's really cool, Rog. And he goes, uh, there's a story behind this radio. And I said, oh, that's great, Rog. What's the story? He said, well, and here's he gives me this memorable line I probably rode the bus with Rosa Parks. <laughs> and I said, what did you just say? He said, I was probably, I probably rode the bus with Rosa Parks when I got this radio. We used to go over to Mr. Mason's house and we would listen to the creaking door and all these scary shows on the radio. He goes, I just a little kid. Nobody thought it was weird that I was like seven years old and going hanging out next door with a 75-year-old man listening to radio shows. And I went, man, wow, that sounds like a song, Roger. Will you write it? And I said, yeah, I'll write it. So I did a smart thing and I told him I would write it because if I had just in my mind decided to write it, I wouldn't have finished it. Because he used to ask me every week when we go to this music jam, have you been working on that song? Held you accountable. Yeah, I said, give me some more, give me some more information. So he kept shooting me these texts about, you know, Mr. Mason said this, and man, when Mr. Mason passed away, or when Mr. Mason moved out, uh, they had to move him out because he couldn't live by himself anymore. It was really sad. And, Mr. Mason called me to the car when his son was driving him away and said, Roger, I left the radio in the house for you. It almost makes me cry. Sometimes I can't get through the song, you know. Because my songs affect me emotionally. Like with the gloaming coming down, I was kind of tore up there for a second. So uh, I wrote him this little song called Mr. Mason's Radio. See if I can do it. Probably rode the bus with Rosa Parks. My good friend said to me, it's Montgomery, Alabama, around 1953. Reverend King in his church in the corner downtown. Mr. Mason next door, me and him all around. I was a kid from the South, it was a simple world then. A boy and an old man could call themselves friends. Every night after dinner, I'd go knock on his door. 
He'd sit there in his chair I'd find my spot on the floor Then we'd talk about life Things I might need to know Till we'd warm up the tubes To his old radio And the universe beckoned The world was our stage Me and that old man Were the very same age It was him and me, Febble McGee, Charlie Chan, Superman, the Rogers boys, Buck and Roy, just me and him, old Rin Tin Tin. It was Amos and Ann, Sergeant Joe Friday and the creaking door, so many more. We were good friends so long ago, Mr. Mason's radio. Those few years passed so slowly With me and him friends Still it seemed like a lifetime To the kid I was then Then one day I looked up He'd grown old in his home And his son said to me Dad can't make it alone So they came with a big truck And packed up his life I helped Mr. Mason To the car in the drive don't remember for sure, but I believe I was crying. For that old man in his car, and our friendship left dying. So I just waved goodbye, as they put her in gear. Mr. Mason leaned out, said, son, come over here. And he whispered to me, in a voice sweet and slow, son, I left you in the house. I look at my friend, my eyes are wet and wide. I see his old radio standing there by his side. And I then understand that the decades pass on, but the friendship survives till the last one is gone. So I just wave goodbye as I turn to go. I see he's got his hands on. old radio his old radio and he says it was him and me Fevel McGee Charlie Chan Superman the Rogers boys Buck and Roy just me and him old Rin Tin Tin it was Amos and Andy Sergeant Joe Friday and the creaking door so many more we were good so long ago, Mr. Mason's radio. We were good friends so long ago, Mr. Mason's radio.
I like that one. That's another one. It's very visual. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's next for you? Ah, we'll see what happens when I sell my house. I got a bunch more songs that I've been writing. But, you know, it's interesting. I found that a lot of them I can't play here. People get offended. They get offended? They get offended, especially when they get political or... Or uh, we'll say use words that are inappropriate for some people, but I think they fit perfectly. Yeah, yeah. and I remember the one, the one with the police force. <laughs> I've I've heard that one for sure, which I thought was is another. It might not be as mass, compa mass compatible, but it seems very real at the same time. So sometimes I guess reality and mass com and what what whatever you know is is I've, I don't know mass compatible might not necessarily always right. <laughs> commercials. <laughs> you know it's interesting though um, the way that people want to generalize things. It's always been the case, but it seems more now. And so now every policeman is a hero. And. Uh, every fireman is a hero, and according to what side of the of the political spectrum you're on, rather than saying, "Hey, that guy is a cop and he's a great guy, and that guy is a jerk, and he would be a jerk whether he was a cop or he was working at a convenience store," and that was my point for writing that one, and I played Max's Riders Night at the hotel one night. And I'm going, well, and Mitch Mann was there. And I didn't know Mitch at all. I saw Mitch about two years later, and I said, hi, uh, Daniel Market. And he goes, oh, I remember you. <laughs> and I said, you do? He goes, oh, yeah, you have that song uh, about the big guns. And I go, yeah. And he says, uh, I love that song. I said, gee, thanks. And I remember playing that song that night, and I'm thinking, I wonder what's going to happen when I get done. And everybody clapped like crazy and a cop came up to me after and gave me his business card and says I gotta have a copy of that song and he got it he realized it it wasn't against everybody it was against these guys that had pulled us over for three and a half hours for no reason you know well Thank you so much for being mm -hmm. my guest. It's great being here today and sharing your wonderful songs and story with me. And I already look forward to getting to listen to your to your songs again, getting to listen to your record. And uh, I just wish you the best of luck and everything. And whatever wherever your road may take you, I'm sure it's going to be an interesting one. We'll see. And I'm really impressed with your knowledge of of uh, music. That's really good too. Not a lot of people dig that hard so I've enjoyed it thanks I appreciate it yep. all the best to you thanks this was the 31st episode of the Crazy Chester Radio Hour we taped it at the Nuthouse Recording Studio in Sheffield, Alabama thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode Make sure to check out some of the earlier episodes and subscribe to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. Goodbye for now, until next week.